1: If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds. And while you are see-through... The world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle.
0: This is Podco Media Networks.
1: On episode 78 of Confessions of a Marketer, we're all about ABM and your Martech stack. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Rob Whedon of Deal Signal and Jeremy Middleton of Pramada are both here for the first of two parts to chat about data intent and marketing, including ABM and the ever-present Martech stack. We'll get to that chat in just a moment. Coming soon, I've got a chat with Prism HR CMO Scott Horn about marketing a high-growth company. Angel Hollis Vaccaro of Deloitte joins me to deconstruct the Deloitte Report Beyond Marketing, Experience Reimagined. Plus, AJ Wilcox on social media, Joe Martin on video, Mitch Duckler on differentiating your brand, and Steve Rindasso on experiences. We have lots more in store, so as always, stay tuned. Want well, to invite you to have a listen to my other venture, the Innovation Podcast, the iPod with Garnett Harriman. Lots of fun stuff happening there. Head over to theinnovationpodcast.co to tune in. COVID-19 patients need your help.
2: If you've fully recovered from COVID-19
1: or unknowingly been exposed to it,
2: you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover.
1: Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies.
2: Visit vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood.
1: That's V I T A L A N T.org. Help save lives and schedule your appointment at vitalant.org.
2: You could help save lives.
1: Okay, on to Rob and Jeremy. I had Rob on early in the series for a chat about data and marketing wanted to have him back, and when he mentioned he could get one of his customers to join him, I jumped at the chance to talk about account-based marketing, data intent and marketing, plus the Martech stack. It was a fun chat, which we have divided into two parts. Let's get to part one. Jeremy, welcome to Confessions of a Marketer, and Rob, welcome back. It's good to have you both here.
2: Thanks for having me. Good. Thanks, Mark.
1: All right, let's dig right in. Account based marketing was a shift from pure inbound toward more outbound marketing to accounts that meet specific criteria, that ideal customer profile. Now with intent, marketers can refine that further to accounts that are showing interest in topics related to products and services that they provide. Is intent helping marketers refine their ICPs and find new potential customers or validate that they've chosen the right initial targets? And
2: what are the top use cases? Well, I can jump in there. Intent is definitely helping me as a marketer to find better clients or potential customers. We have our, our target account list that we're going after, but intent data is really helping us identify other people outside of that space that have interest in what we offer and also helps us identify then other target markets to go after as well. So it's been very helpful.
0: Yeah.
1: Rob, you got any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah.
0: I would just say that the, the world kind of shifted to ABM in let's say 2016, 2017, and it continues to become a mainstream topic, right? And so, ABM is all about marketing and sales aligning around, you know, what is their total audience, yeah. and who are the accounts. Really, these first couple of years have been about who are the accounts we should target to, you know, to grow our revenues, to grow our pipelines. And what Intent has done in the last 12 to 18 months, it's kind of you know, gone through this cycle of becoming maybe the most popular thing to do right now, or the most um, there's a lot of awareness around intent, and the reason is all. The, let's say you have a thousand target accounts; they're not all ready to buy when you're ready to market to them. Right. And so, by knowing who your target accounts are, but then identifying those that are in market, actively researching and searching for products you offer, you can prioritize and be very timely in catching them at the time that they are. Not buying, but before they buy, when they're doing their research. And that's the best time to engage them from a marketing, customer journey, sales perspective. Yeah,
1: I was having a discussion with someone yesterday about that magic line between when you market to someone and when you start selling and it's somewhere in the funnel. But a lot of people want to start selling to people as soon as they enter the funnel. What's your point of view on that, guys? Where is the right point to start selling to someone?
2: Yeah, I have a simple answer. When they're ready. (laughs) You know, you need to have, if you're relying on a certain number of accounts and expect them to go to, through a sales cycle that is probably, let's say, three months for a company, yeah. just as an example. And if you start selling to them immediately, your conversion rates are going to be very low. But if you have a pool of people who are interested, knowing that you have to pull a certain amount out a quarter or a half or whatever the time frame is, those people that are ready to buy out of that pool are the ones who are really going to you know, go through a standard sales cycle. So really, it's very much of a customer-first world right now. You can't start selling to them until they're ready.
0: I want to make an important point. I agree with Jeremy. It's about if you take those 1,000 accounts as, as the use case, let's say you could identify 100 of them that are actively researching and increasing their level of research over the last two to four weeks. And you see that a crescendo is happening in their interest around the products you offer, that'd be the ideal time to communicate with them. But if you look at, like you're selling a customer experience platform in your Oracle, there's 15 or 18 features of that platform people might be interested in. Yeah. And if you specifically know what topics that are the hot buttons for them, you can really not only engage them at the right time on a priority basis, but you can also marry and personalize your content to what they're most interested in, what their hot buttons are, what their pains are, and you can identify that with intent data. The right people at the right time, but then the personalization to convert them at a higher rate, completely agree with Jeremy. Great point, Rob.
1: And Jeremy, you've been doing some whittling lately. I understand at the B2B MX conference you presented about taking Primata's MarTech stack down to 21 or 22 tools to just seven First of all, how did you decide what should stay and what should go and wh- you know why did intent and the contact data from deal signal make the cut? and what results have you seen since you streamlined that tech stack?
2: Yeah, great question. So we did have quite a few tools, and as you know in an industry wide uh, there's a proliferation of Marketing tools. You could have a Martech stack with hundreds of tools, but what this does is it adds increased complexity. They're not always complementary, and they're uh, it's expensive, right? Yeah. <laughs> it adds up. So, in looking at that, what I did was I came in and I said, "What if I could just maybe, if I could start over? If let's look at our strategy, and once we identify our strategy." implement a process around that strategy. And that will give us then a clear set of guidance on what type of tools we need. Right. And so when we followed that process, we found quite a few tools that were not complementary to the strategy. They may be for other strategies. They're great. But for us, they were not. And so for our specific strategy, we were able to take the tools down from about 22 to seven. And I think in the industry as a whole, we're going to see two things. We're already seeing one consolidation of tools, right? Mm-hmm. They're being bought and integrated into each other. And two, we're we're going to see people try to simplify. But I might be biased, so since I did it. Yeah.
1: Hey, uh, so what advice would you give to your marketing colleagues about simplifying that stack and how you approached your process to do that simplification?
2: Yeah, good question. So I, you don't have to do it all at once, right? Yeah. That's probably first off because when somebody, when you try to do everything at once, that's a little overwhelming. Again, make sure you really have a defined strategy because that strategy will tell you what tools you need. So that's key. Uh, another one is make sure you have the end information or data you need to know the success of your program in mind. One problem with having a large number of tools is it's near impossible to integrate all the information into one place. So with all that uh, dislocated information, it's very hard to get a true picture of what your customers are or your prospective customers are doing. And so keep that that data model in mind, because if you pick the right tools and you have that data model in mind, you'll take into consideration whether you can integrate the information and you can get a one shot view of a customer. Right. Mark, if
0: I can comment, because I saw the before and after of Jeremy at Pramada. And so I think I have a simple way to encapsulate it. Before the organization was letting the tools drive them. And after Jeremy came in, he said, what are the goals? Or the processes that drive the goals and then he chose only the tools that he could drive to his goals and he just turned it around it's literally just I think if marketers could take away one thing it's drive your goals choose and license only the tools that will help you meet your goals and any tool that's driving you is probably causing you distraction it's probably causing you operational overheads and it's costing you money that you you know is not driving towards an ROI and that's that's the best way to think about it. Uh, vendor or tool rationalization—the Martech stack, from what I've
1: seen. Yeah, and and th- that's a really good point. That the, all these tools cost money; they're not just there for for your pleasure. They they cost you money, and you've got to justify that every time you pay that subscription fee.
0: The world in general is moving to an on-demand model. I'm not going to have a car. I'm going to push a button and a car is going to come take me where I need to go. You know, I, I'm going to consume things as I need them, as they drive me to my goals. And so the consumption model of the subscription meets consumption of the on-demand economy, that's where, you know, that's where we, we are and that's where we're headed. And I think we're aligned with the future. And as folks go through these to tech stack rationalizations, they should choose vendors that are not forcing them to buy the product, keep the product, and you either do or don't have the product for a very high price. It should be aligned with consumption and it should be aligned with the consumption towards an ROI. Full we'll stop.
1: All right. Next time, Rob and Jeremy are back to continue our chat and cover the tension around ABM, the promise of technology, programmatic advertising, and a lot more. So stay with us. This episode of Confessions of a Marketer was written, produced, and edited by yours truly, T. Jordan of A Class Productions, wrote the theme music. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2019. I'm Mark Reed Edwards.
0: See you next time.